Hey, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and for um, your goodness in your word, the work of your Holy Spirit in your word. And Lord, we pray that you would move and light a fire in our hearts this morning. We pray, Father, that you would uh, give us eyes to see you and be in awe of what we see. We pray, Father, that uh, we would celebrate not only you, but who you have made us to be as your bride, and you would fill our hearts with joy today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, hey, we are back. Just look around this room. Y'all gotta give a shout out because there's a lot of people watching uh, our service, and let them know you're here today. I know this is so strange uh, to say we're back and there are 60 people in this room. Um, we're crawling our way back and there are people that are at home churches, there are people that are watching this with their families, there's people at home. And I just wanna say for those of you that are here, the sacrifice of love that you're making to have this room full of cameras and special lights and still come with a heart open to worship uh, is remarkable. So let's just lean in because this passage today, uh, there is something that Paul says in this passage that uh, is remarkable. He actually says, this is in uh, verse seven, he says, because you've become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rings out from you, not only in Macedonia, but also Achaia. And this word ringing out from you is actually one Greek word, exaheo, or if you're a scholar, it's more of exaheo. It's kind of, there's something caught in the back of your throat. But what it means, you can almost interpret it literally as rolling thunder. Rolling thunder. Come on, Paul, you can bring it more than that. Rolling thunder. Can you hear that? You can't hear that. Wow, okay. This was so cool when we were talking about it this morning. And looking at y'all's mask, y'all seem very unimpressed. But Paul was saying that their lives were uh, such that out of their lives, something was rolling like thunder. It's always better, yeah. And what is it? And if you go up in verse six, he says that uh, with joy given by the Holy Spirit, the message of Christ is rolling out of you like thunder. One more time, Paul. And the reason this is so remarkable is let's think about this for a minute. He's saying that there is joy in your community, joy in your life that is so profound that it's like thunder. And have you ever been where thunder was prominent? You just, you can't avoid it. You can't ignore it. I remember I was running through Percy Warner Park a couple of years ago when lightning struck and then thunder was so loud that it literally knocked me to the ground because thunder will not be ignored. And this was a church that we would have said had everything going against it for it to be a rolling thunder church. I mean, think about it, they had, uh, if you go to Acts chapter 17, you see the planning of this church. They had social diversity. So there were rich people there, there were poor people there. They didn't have anything in common in their social connections or what they did socially. They were racially diverse, they had Greeks and also Jews. They were young Christians. These were people that had just become believers. And literally within months of becoming believers, they were experiencing severe suffering because their community was turning on them. If you read Acts chapter 17, a mob went to where Paul and Silas and Timothy were staying and they weren't there. 
So they, they grabbed the people that owned the house and drug them to the city officials and threw them in jail. They were, they were suffering. And on top of that, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had skedaddled. So they're alone in their suffering as brand new believers. And yet joy is thundering through their lives. Wow, that's so good. And we're just gonna keep doing this until y'all are so into it. Like, but it's not just any joy. I mean, this is joy. Scripture says it's joy given by the Holy Spirit. And what is that? Well, let's, let's talk about what it's not. This is not the joy that comes from Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl tonight. I know. Let's hear it for old guys. <laughs> I could care less about Tampa Bay, but hey, come on. Or the joy, you remember that joy, if you have kids, that joy of the birth of your child. That's not what he's talking about here. The joy of finishing school or the joy of success or the joy that comes from falling in love and being in love. And these are great, but this isn't the joy that Paul is talking about because the joy that Paul's talking about that's thundering out of their lives is a joy that transcends all those. It transcends all circumstances. In fact, what he said right here is that this joy happened in the midst of severe suffering. So it was a joy that was actually greater than anything they were experienced because this is the joy that's given by the Holy Spirit. Let me see if I can try to help you understand. The Holy Spirit was bringing to this young early church Trinitarian joy. He was, he was taking joy from the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, a joy that existed only in that place and was taking that joy now and coming and giving it to this young church. And it was that joy, that supernatural joy, that joy that's only created by God and it is God's that belonged to them and now was thundering out of them. Wow, just want to own it. So if we go to the Old Testament, they're not strangers to this. In Nehemiah chapter eight, uh, in this hard time, God is saying to his people, go your way, and he tells them like, you know, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions. This is a holy day. And he says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That this joy that God has is our strength. And this is not a joy, I may not do a good job of explaining this, but this isn't joy in the Lord. It's not like the Lord did something good for me so I have joy in the Lord. This is the joy of the Lord that Paul is talking about. In John chapter 15, Jesus puts it this way, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And it's this image of a vineyard and this, this, this vine that actually is growing these you know, spider web of branches. And he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is painting this image that the vine holds all the nutrition, it has all the water, it, it has life. And as long as the branch is connected to the vine, the vine doesn't inspire the branch. The vine doesn't say, if you'll just be like me, then something good would happen. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying, if you stay in me, then the life of the vine will actually work its way into the branch, and in that branch, there will be fruit that's born. And the fruit that's born is the fruit that comes from the life of the vine. Are you tracking with me? 
That's why he said in verse 11 of this vine and branches passage, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The joy that exists in the vine now actually flows into the branch of the church and expresses itself in fruit. If we had time, we could go to Galatians chapter five where it talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are not the fruits of you when you know the Holy Spirit. It's not the fruits of you if you let the Holy Spirit do something in your life. It is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the footprint of the Holy Spirit that when he shows up, these are the things that he brings. This is evidence of his presence and one of those is joy. So what is the joy of God? What is this joy, this supernatural Trinitarian joy that Paul's talking about? Well, first, let me just encourage you that we serve a God who is perfectly happy. We serve a God who is perfectly at peace. There is nothing he can't have. He is, in fact, perfectly joyful. And if we understand joyfulness as more than just an emotion, then we understand in God that God is perfect in his contentment. God is perfect in his satisfaction. God is perfect in his peace. So when you think about joy in the context of contentment, satisfaction, and peace, The Trinitarian joy has a joy that cannot be swayed from circumstances. It's not something that can change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and so is his joy. So John Piper puts it this way, God has the right and the power and the wisdom to do whatever makes him happy. None of his purposes can be frustrated. Therefore, he's never deficient or needy. He's never gloomy or discouraged. He was always always full and overflowingly energetic for the sake of his people who seek his, their happiness in him. So bear with me. If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter one. We, we, need to, we need to kick around kind of a chunk of scripture just for a second to try to better understand the joy of God and why that matters to us, especially during this crazy COVID time and Super Bowl Sunday. Boy, if this room was full, the, the humor would just be so appreciated. I know. It's just you mask people. It's squelching your ability. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, if you're ever going to go and memorize a scripture, or if you're, if you're going to write something on your mirror uh, in your bathroom that you see every day, this is it. Because this right here is like just the, pun- the knockout punch for anything that takes away the power of my own spiritual journey with Christ. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He has blessed you in the heavenly realms, not with just any blessing, but every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's not something we work for. That's not something we hope to get. That's not something that if you pray a lot, that'll be yours. That's not something if you memorize Leviticus, then somehow or another you unlock the key. This is something that if you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Finished. It's done. Verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I don't become holy. I don't eventually become blameless when I reach heaven. That is true about me right now. In Christ, I am holy, and in his righteousness, I stand, not in my own. Finished. In love, 
That's so important. What's motivating God? Love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We are adopted. We are sons and daughters. We belong. We're no longer outcast. We're a part of the family. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Every one of my sins is forgiven. Past, present, and future, it is gone. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, that I'm a recipient of the lavished grace of God. And listen to this last, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will a good, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Did you hear that last line? He did all of this. Why? His good pleasure. His joy. His joy is to bless us with every spiritual blessing. His joy is to choose us. His joy is to forgive us. His joy is to adopt us and to make us sons and daughters. His joy is to lavish on us grace upon grace. His joy is to give us wisdom. His joy is to give us insight. And if you don't get anything else out of this, uh, this sermon today, underline this. What is God's joy? You. We are the joy of God. So maybe, have you ever been to a playground that's just packed? Remember those days, you know, back long ago, like when your grandparents would take you to the playground? But you go to a playground and, and there are kids everywhere and the moms are all kind of standing off and the dads are kind of standing off and they're, they're talking, but they, they can hear, even though there's 100 kids on the playground, trust me, um, you can hear your kid. And as soon as you hear mom, uh, every, everybody ignores it except for one person who knows that voice. And that person, that mom, that dad, has an eye for that child. It's not like they're rude or cruel or mean to every other kid on the playground. It's just that that child has something. That child has the joy of their mother and father. That is my joy. And because that child is that parent's joy, that child gets to experience protection by those parents and provision by those parents and affection by those parents and love by those parents and belong by those parents that at the end of the day when that child walks through the door, they walk into a home that the family surrounds them and says, it's a mean world out there, but in here you are safe because you belong. And everything that's here is to secure your safety so that you know that you're loved, so that you have the strength to go back out there again. That's joy. And more importantly, that child has a name. That's the joy of the Lord. So, um, so let me ask a question. Uh, if we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the joy of the Lord, where is it? Where is it? Where is it in your life? I mean, honestly, if we were to take time this morning and just kind of analyze what's thundering out of your life, <laughs> would it be joy? Would your family and friends, if I came to them and said, hey, what is resonating from their lives so loud that it's unavoidable? Would they go, joy? Would they? I mean, 
Some of you have had COVID. Where's the joy in that? That doesn't seem like the foundation for, you know, supernatural Trinitarian joy. I know some of you have lost your jobs um, and you're wondering how you're gonna make financial uh, responsibilities. You're gonna have to pay rent, pay your house note, get your kids in school. School, there's another one. Some of you, your kids haven't been in school for months. Where's the joy in that? Trust me. Hmm, you need supernatural, Trinitarian joy. Some of you have hard relationships, like really hard relationships. And this COVID season has strained those relationships because when we were quarantined, you remember a year ago when we were all quarantined and you couldn't get away from your family? Okay. Some of you were quarantined with your parents and we were praying for you. Like we, we just had prayer vigils for you because you had to survive a, an election through that. Some of you are struggling with depression. Some of you um, are starting to realize that you have an addiction in your life. Where's the joy in that? And see, it's really easy when we talk about the kind of joy that was resonating from this church in 1 Thessalonians for us to leave here with a lot of shame. Like, wow, that, so they had that in their lives. Why is that not happening in my life? What's going on here? What's wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing. See, if you're in Christ, your joy is like a fish in water. That water's everywhere. You're in it. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're swimming in the joy of the Lord. You cannot be in Christ and have the Holy Spirit and not have the fruit of joy all around you. But sometimes, and we've said this before, have you ever lost your car keys only to realize they were in your pocket? You know, but when you're looking for your car keys and they're right there in your pocket, but you don't know they're in your pocket, you act as if you're somebody that doesn't have car keys. In fact, when you have something, but you don't know that you have something, you live your life exactly like somebody that doesn't have it. Did you follow that? I thought that was pretty profound. Think about it. If you can't find your car keys, but they're right there in your pocket, you run around your house instead of getting in your car. When you have your car keys in your pocket, but you don't know it, you actually treat people in your house as if somehow or another, they're the ones that got your car keys and lost them. You intentionally put them in the cushion of the couch, didn't you? So we start acting like we don't have the car keys. If we have our car keys, but we don't know we have our car keys, we may actually even walk to church or call a friend or Uber to church. Why? Because we don't think we have the car keys. And here's, here's what's crazy about most of us as believers is your faith, your joy, your walk with Jesus like this Ferrari in the driveway. And we walk out and today, right now, we're talking about this Ferrari of joy, this supernatural Trinitarian joy. And we're looking at it, we're going, dude, that is a fine car. It is so fast. That is so much power. Hey, call an Uber. Because we look at it, we leave it right there in the driveway, but we never drive it. It's like, maybe we'll drive it to church, you know, and we'll get to church and go, man, that was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, what do you do tomorrow? Leave it in the driveway. And for, for me, as I think about uh, many that go to Midtown, my prayer for you has been that a lot of times Sunday morning is the only time you actually get into the Ferrari and drive it. 
Like this is the first time you've thought about joy today or this week or this month or maybe this year. And my concern is, is that you haven't started up that Ferrari in a really long time. And it's just sitting there and you're going around town on your moped when you have a Ferrari back in your driveway. What's wrong with you? Nothing. But how do we get in and start the Ferrari? So go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to show you something about the Thessalonians. We're going to talk about it for a few minutes and then we're going to come back to worship. Verse 2. We always thank, thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. See, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three again. We remember before our God and Father. We remember you. And what do they remember? You had works in your life that were produced by faith. Your faith actually grew legs and was actually starting to do things, do works that were dependent upon faith. That you actively were exercising your faith in a God that was greater than you and you were actually moving toward work, trusting God and not trusting yourself. Because I promise you, when God calls you into things, he's gonna get you so far in over your head like, and I'll just, let me just speak to the single people here today that if you get married one day, you're gonna understand why marriage is so, in, so far over your head. And you're either gonna live your marriage by the flesh, meaning you and your spouse are gonna try to figure this out on your own strength, or you're gonna move toward one another with faith and trusting that God is doing something beautiful here. The second thing is that your labor that was prompted by love. Think about that for a minute. He says, we remember the things in your life that you did that were prompted by love, that you loved deeply. And when you love people deeply, it, it motivated, it prompted something in you. And then finally, your endurance inspired by hope. I, just think about that for a minute, that you have an endurance that's inspiring. And what's this inspired by? Hope. Faith, love, and hope. When we live in faith, love, and hope, these things thunder from our lives because they lead us to joy. Let me see if I can help you understand that. If you go to Romans chapter five, there is a picture here of this spiritual truth that really ties our heart, our emotions, our spirit, our soul, all together and how do we live in this. This is uh, Romans chapter five, Paul starts in verse one by saying, therefore since we have been justified by faith, meaning stop the train just for a minute, that I was lost and Christ came and, and found me, that I was dead in my sins and Christ took my sins away and made me alive spiritually, that I didn't belong and now I do belong. I was a man that was spiritually dead, but now spiritually alive, I have the spirit of the living God that's dwelling within me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Like I have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he's saying, because I've been justified, now I stand on grace. He's for me. He loves me. 
I'm in his favor, not because of what I've done or what I might do, but because of who Jesus is. We don't stand on our circumstances. We stand on grace. We stand on his promises. We learn about it. We sing about it. We meditate on it. We start the Ferrari. What is grace in my life? What is grace at work? What is grace at home? What is grace in recreation? What is grace here this morning? But then he says something really powerful that ties us back to 1 Thessalonians. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is introducing us to this life of standing on grace to where even when my circumstances are hard, I'm rejoicing in that moment because that rejoicing now opens me to perseverance and endurance and then that perseverance produces character in me and then character produces hope in me. And what does hope do? Hope has eyes. What does hope see? That God is pouring his love out into my heart. So what I'm encouraging you to do, to start the Ferrari, rejoice. Re-joy. By faith, actively bring joy by rejoicing into your life so that in your rejoicing by faith, you have perseverance And then that perseverance produces character in me. And character now helps me pick up hope to see that God's pouring his love out into my heart. That thunders from us. Wow. (laughs) So this week, uh, it was was rainy and um, it was like 8.30 and I had to run up to the store to go get some stuff and I didn't want to get out and I said, okay, I'll, I'll go and I get in the car and I, I drive all the way across town to the store and I get out of the car and I'm walking up and I see the sign on the door that says uh, mask required and I'm like, oh. yeah, so I go back to my car and I realize that I don't have any mask in my car and I'm digging around and I had to drive all the way back home to get a mask And as I'm getting my mask and getting in my car and driving all the way back to the store again, I'm really becoming angry. And in that anger, I was saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm just, I'm fed up with this. I'm fed up with wearing a mask. I'm fed up with not being around my friends. I'm fed up with doing church this way to where we have cameras in our chapel and people are at home and they can't be here with us. I'm fed up with my neighbors uh, not being able to send their kids to school. I'm fed up with my friends who are sick and in the hospital. I'm fed up with the hardship that has caused a lot of our people during this season. I'm fed up with the way schools are being run with Vanderbilt and Belmont and all these. I'm fed up with all of it. I'm just ready for it to be over. What are you doing? I demand to know. So the sky opened up at that point and uh, angels came down and uh, the thunder. <laughs> and uh, honestly, um, you know, 
Someone told me years ago, one of my mentors, I think it was Anne Lamont who first said it, that cussing is the lowest form of prayer because cussing is, is, is the pain of my soul working its way to the surface of my life. And when we groan, if we have the courage to groan instead of going around our heart, going around our heart is complaining or blaming. Blaming is such a great way to go around my heart. I don't have to deal with me. I have to deal with you, you know, or I complain about you or I complain about the circumstances. I don't ever have to deal with me. But when we truly groan, that believe this, that we stand on grace, that our father isn't sitting there with his arms folded going, how dare you question me? But a father who is saying, you belong here. Groan to me. And as we groan to the Lord, as I groan to the Lord, here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Um, You can't handle what I'm doing. So the only uh, comfort you're gonna have is tell me what I'm not doing. So let me pass that on to you. You know what's not happening? We've not been abandoned by our Father. You know what's not happening? There's no longer grace. Do you know what's not happening? That God has given up on his promise to build his church. Do you know what's not happening? that the kingdom of God is not rolling across this nation and bringing grace and redemption. You know what's not happening? We've not been forgotten. You know what's not happening? Is that we don't belong anymore. You know what's not happening? Is that God has not turned his back on us. We stand on grace. And that alone allows us to rejoice. So as we go through this series, 1 Thessalonians, hey, Midtown, Even though this is hard, this is different, this is unusual, we're starting to come back and some of the technology isn't always gonna work and you're gonna walk in, it's gonna feel weird being in a mask and some of you are in home churches that are still trying to figure out how to do that. Some of you haven't gotten into home churches. Some of you have isolated. And how do you slowly get back involved? How do you join a small group during a pandemic and actually let yourself be discipled or become somebody who says, I'm gonna commit myself to discipling other people. In all this awkwardness as we work to do that these next four months, let's let joy thunder from us. Yeah, let me pray. Father, we turn to you and thank you that You are such a generous God that you would pour out on us your joy. That you would even send your son to um, pour grace upon grace and lavish grace upon us. Now, Father, would you give us courage as your church to um, not be afraid to step into that with faith and love and hope that we would rejoice, that we would ignite the joy that you have given us and let it work its way to the surface that, Lord, it would, it would be a resounding noise and beauty to the community that we live in. In Christ's name.